Good Thursday morning. It's time for PBC's Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells and Jay White. Interesting program lined up for you on this Thursday morning. We're going to have Tony Bahu on the phone. And uh, Tony, uh, you know, this weekend, Mississippi State is playing South Carolina on the weekend of September 11th. Well, if you remember, after the September 11th attacks on America, the first college football game afterward was Mississippi State versus South Carolina in Starkville. Tony worked that game. We'll talk with him about the experience, that once-in-a-lifetime experience of working that game. We'll talk with Kyle Tate about the Mississippi Braves. They wrapped up a playoff spot this past week in the Southern League, and last night they started the Southern League uh, playoffs. We'll talk with him about the Braves' opportunity to win a Southern League championship. And DJ Thompson, a wide receiver for the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. We'll talk with him about Southern Miss's win over the Kentucky Wildcats. That and more coming up. It's MPB Season Pass with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. It's After the News on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. Hillary Clinton is responding to criticism of her performance in last night's Commander-in-Chief Forum. As NPR's Tamara Keith reports, she's also going after Donald Trump. Republican Party Chairman Reince Priebus tweeted last night, quote, Hillary Clinton was angry and defensive the entire time, no smile and uncomfortable. Priebus's tweet has been widely panned as sexist. Clinton was asked about it in a press conference on an airport tarmac. I had a very short window of time in that uh, event last night to convey the seriousness with which I would approach uh, the issues that uh, concern our country. Donald Trump chose to talk about his deep admiration uh, and support for Vladimir Putin. Maybe he did it with a smile, and I guess the RNC would have liked that. Clinton said former presidents like Ronald Reagan would be astonished by a Republican nominee who, quote, attacks America's generals and heaps praise on Russia's president. Tamara Keith, NPR News. Donald Trump is campaigning in Ohio today. He is scheduled to visit a charter school in a mostly African-American neighborhood of Cleveland. Trump has been making appeals to African-American voters recently. He has been criticized for making that appeal, usually in front of mostly white audiences. President Obama is wrapping up his trip to Laos. During a news conference in the Laotian capital, Obama again criticized Trump as someone who was not qualified to be president. I have confidence that if, in fact, people just listen to what he has to say and look at his track record or lack thereof, that they'll make a good decision. While in Laos, Obama attended an economic summit of Southeast Asian nations. The White House canceled a planned meeting between Obama and Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte after Duterte used an epithet to describe Obama. However, the two leaders talked on the sidelines of the summit. In Syria, rebel shelling has killed the last surgeon in the Kurdish-held district of Aleppo City. NPR's Allison Muse reports the area has come under repeated attack from armed opposition groups, including during a U.S.-backed truce earlier this year. Dr. Shahid Jamian was not just the only surgeon in Aleppo's Sheikh Maksud district. He was also the only one caring for local children. The head of the Sheikh Maksud local council says now there's only two general practitioners to serve 40,000 people. The district is largely Kurdish, but it's home to thousands of displaced Arab families. Dr. Jamian himself was Arab. The Kurdish forces in charge avoid confrontation with the regime. That spared the area from devastating airstrikes, which a rights monitor says killed five children overnight. But Sheikh Maksud faces regular attacks from Aleppo's rebel groups, which see the Kurdish forces as collaborators with the regime. Alison Muse, NPR News. Beirut. On Wall Street, the Dow Jones Industrials are down 37 points. You're listening to NPR News from Washington.
NASA is preparing to launch a probe that's going into space to study an asteroid. The OSIRIS-REx craft is scheduled for launch just after 7 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. It will fly toward the Bennu asteroid, where it will study the huge rock for two years. Then it will collect asteroid dust and gravel and return to Earth. Oil and gas company Apache Corporation says it has discovered a large new oil field in a rural part of West Texas. It could hold billions of barrels of oil and trillions of cubic feet of natural gas. Marfa Public Radio's Travis Bubenik has more. The company says the Alpine High oil field was discovered after two years of exploration in a part of West Texas that's seen some drilling, but nothing like Apache's now hoping for. The company has acquired more than 300,000 acres in an area spokesperson Kathleen Kennedy says was previously thought to not contain much oil and gas. And what Apache really did was kind of challenge that thinking, and through、uh, new technology, try to understand that geology. And lo and behold, that traditional thinking was was wrong. The new wells Apache's already drilled have angered some who worry the industry is creeping into a corner of Texas where it's had a much smaller presence until now. For NPR News, I'm Travis Bubinick in West Texas. The remnants of Tropical Storm Newton have broken up in the southwest U.S. The National Weather Service says there is some remaining moisture. That means parts of Arizona and New Mexico will see some rain today. The service also warns strong to severe thunderstorms are in today's forecast from the central plains to the Midwest. I'm Corva Coleman, NPR News from Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include visiting angels, professional caregivers assisting adults in bathing, dressing, meals, and lighthouse work nationwide. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Office locations are at visitingangels.com. Coming up on MPB's At Issue. Kemper controversy. Per megawatt hour, this is the most expensive electric generating facility in the world. Mississippi Power calls it the world's most advanced coal plant. If it were to work, then we might have a viable fix for how to clean up coal plants. But it's billions of dollars over budget and behind schedule. There's certainly no reason to continue to throw good money after bad. We take a closer look at the Kemper County Energy Facility on At Issue this Friday at 7:30 p.m. on MPB. Welcome back. It's MPB Season Pass with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White here on MPB Think Radio. You'll have to forgive me. I'm going through my first allergy thing of the season, so、uh, I sound like、uh, a deep, deep Southern gospel bass on this、uh, Thursday morning. Oh man, sounds good. <laughs> I like it. This microphone helps a lot too. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a soothing baritone that I am, or something like that. Gives a little bit of that bass, <laughs> right? Well, we've got a pretty good program today.、Um, very interesting,、uh, and this was Sam's idea. So, so、uh, props to Sam.、Uh, you know, this weekend, I love props to Sam. Yeah, <laughs> this weekend, Mississippi State and South Carolina are playing on the September the tenth、um, in Starkville. And、uh, if you'll recall, after the September 11th attacks, of course,、uh, m- most all sports in America、uh, took a hiatus for、uh, a certain amount of time. And the first college football game after that hiatus was a Thursday night game between South Carolina and Mississippi State at、uh, Davis Wade Stadium.、Uh, I think it was called that back then. Maybe it was still Scott Field, but anyway,、um, that was. Uh, um, that's a once in a lifetime experience. I'm sure the people who went to that game
um, and and experienced just the the feel. I'm sure it was strange in ways, um, patriotic in ways, um, you know, an experience that people here in our homeland had never really gone through before. Um, so talk to Tony Bahu uh, about ex- that experience. He was uh, sports director at uh, uh, Channel 16 WAPT uh, in Jackson, the ABC affiliate, during that time, and he covered the game. We're going to talk to him in about uh, 10, 12 minutes about his time covering that. Also today, Kyle Tate from the Mississippi Braves. He's the play-by-play announcer. And uh, Braves wrapped up a playoff spot uh, and got into the Southern League playoffs, and they started – uh, their series with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos uh, last night. And Sam, they traded the lead, I think, four times in that game. Uh, the Braves were be- behind one and scored two in the top of the ninth to go ahead and then gave up two in the bottom of the ninth to lose. Oh, no. So they're down one. I to it a little bit. Yeah, they're down one game to none, but in, uh, in a playoff best of five series, that means nothing. Uh, and they'll have home games at Trustmark Park in Pearl. Uh, that'll be coming up uh, Friday and Saturday. Yeah, uh, the uh, they get a bonus home game. Am I right? Did I hear you and uh, and Kevin yes. discuss that? Yes, Kevin was telling me about this, and this is some intricate stuff right here. So, if if you have um, two different, uh, of course, they split the most minor leagues, not all of them, but most minor leagues split their seasons up into halves, and. If you if the same team wins both halves, um, of course a, a team can't play itself in a playoff series, so they take basically a wild card, which is the team with the best overall record uh, throughout the course of the regular season, and that was the Mississippi Braves. That's how they wound up getting in. They lost uh, their lead, which was up to I think seven at one point, or at least six and a half in the division. Uh, but they they scuffled for a minute after uh, Dansby Swanson was called up. And don't get me on that horse. But uh, we don't have time. We got too much stuff to do today. Right. But uh, they scuffled a bit, wound up losing the lead, and they lost the division by a half game. But they did get that wild card. Now here's the deal. Typically, if you have two different division champions, they'll go. It's a best of five series, and uh, they'll either go. I think what they do is is two and then three. Uh, two at um, one place, and then the next three at the second place, or maybe two, two, one. I can't remember. But uh, if you're a wild card because you never won, um, you never won the division at any point. A wild card just gets one home game, so it's like two, one, two, which I think is a pretty neat wrinkle, and, and it rewards it rewards a team for winning both halves of the league, both halves. Uh, by giving them an extra home game, I just think it's pretty cool. It's pretty intricate, you know. I wish uh, some of, I wish some of the minor leagues would pay that close attention to some other things that they're doing. Uh, but um, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, it's great to have the uh, to have the Braves in the playoffs, and uh, at least the uh, the the parent club has some sort of. Something, I guess, to cheer about this season. Since the they Braves are, actually, and this hey, look—they've been hot. Lately. If you're a Braves fan, um, they, four of their minor league affiliates made playoffs uh, this year. Gwinnett made it, uh, uh, basically, with all of the in Braves that they called up. Um, and the Rome Braves, by the way, with Austin Riley, um, DeSoto Central uh, player from a couple of years ago, and this guy, man, he's just tearing it up. Uh, at Rome this year, uh, 271 hitter, but 20 homers, 80 RBIs, OPS over 839 doubles. Talk about some gap power. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that guy's, I think he's 20 right now. And, uh, you know, last year in low A, I think he hit 350 for the season. 
So um, he was a catcher in high school and a really good one. They've moved him over to third base. Um, so uh, really a hot prospect in the Braves system right now. Also, if you recall, Bobby Bradley, who played at Harrison Central a couple years ago, was, uh, I think, uh, one of the unanimous uh, – well, maybe not unanimous, but uh, a lot of people thought he was the best high school player in the state a couple years ago at Harrison Central uh, and got them to trust Mark Park in the state finals a couple of times. He uh, plays – for the uh, Lynchburg Hillcats, uh, which is the high A team in the Cleveland Indians system. And this year he hit 29 home runs and drove in 92, I want to say, uh, and walked 75 times. He OPSed over 800, too. I think he's the number three prospect in the Indian system. So he had a big year, and the Hillcats are in the playoffs as well. So uh, lots of uh, minor leaguers doing well. Yeah, that sounds uh, that's awesome. And uh, also... Um, a Jonathan Holder, as yeah, we mentioned this. Up. Looks uh, very, very different from a lot of uh, Mississippi State <laughs> fans' memories. My wife actually saw him pitch for the Yankees on uh, the Major League Baseball Network and was like, is that Jonathan Holder? And I said, yeah, he's a Yankee now. Can't do that stuff. That's right. Got to get a haircut. Got to lose gotta that shave. long hair. Yep. No can't, facial hair. Can't do it. That's right. Got to get the got to get those eyebrows waxed if you're going to be uh, hanging out in Manhattan like that. Yep. Uh, finally, uh, on today's show, DJ Thompson, a uh, former Pearl Pirate and now uh, a senior wide receiver at Southern Miss, we'll talk to him. And let me tell you something: if you haven't heard a DJ interview before. This guy, if he doesn't continue playing football after college, this guy's got a career talking somewhere. He could have a seat next to John Cox. He could. I mean, I mean, you could just install him next year. Yeah. And I'm being dead serious. I mean, he's he is uh, he is an excellent speaker, uh, and um, you know, talking about their football team. If you're a Southern Miss fan, you know, last last week we had Nick Mullins. This week, talking to DJ Thompson, those are a couple of guys where I think if you're a Southern Miss fan, you have to be extremely proud that those guys are representing your program and a huge win for them uh, against Kentucky. After yeah, being down 25. The shining, uh, the shining light on a uh, <laughs> on a a very dark Saturday uh, in Starkville, and boy, one that started off real real good for the Rebels on Monday night, and uh, unfortunately did not end as well as it uh, as it started. Yeah, that Ole Miss game. That's one of the strangest football games I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, they got off to that really hot start. I think uh, maybe the biggest series in the entire game was when Florida State scored to cut it to 28-13 right before halftime. Uh, that was a huge seven points for them uh, and alleviated a lot of pressure on them to start the second half, which they started the second half with the ball. But um, Florida State, boy, they get kickers too, I'm telling you. Yeah. A freshman kicker just split the uprights every time. Yeah. yeah. Hey, did you know his older brother kicked there? I heard that. Uh, Chris Fowler times. was going to let you know that every time the guy stepped on the field. I heard that a couple of times uh, <laughs> the other night. He also had a, a, a he had on like six shirts. Right. Um, All right. Who's better, the kicking Aguayos, Aguayos or the punting, uh, punting Colquitts? Uh, you know, one of the Colquitts got cut. Oh no! Uh, this for the past week, <laughs> so I guess the Aguay- Aguayos are, uh, are. I'm trying to laugh at that guy getting cut. That's well, just... I think he's okay. Yeah, uh, his uh, his entire family probably is punting elsewhere in the NFL, and he's made a good. Uh, I think Dustin Colquitt's is the one who was cut recently, so uh, off the Broncos roster. Oh, okay. So uh, unfortunately for him, but uh, yeah, very uh, very different games uh, all around. Of course, Alcorn State got uh, basically rained out. Yeah, um, well, yeah, I guess lightning, lightning down, repeated, yeah. repeated lightning delays wound up canceling that game. And, man, I don't know. This, if you're going to go to the trouble of having a game like that at a neutral site, uh, it seems to me like if, if I'm 
an athletic department, I need some sort of a guarantee that a game is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Because here's the first thing I thought of. What are you telling me? It's declared a no contest. It's not on their schedule. Now they're basically playing 10 regular season games like they used to do in high school. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I, I assume they got a check, uh, some sort of a payout for going to that game. But how much money did they spend taking their entire football team, their athletic staff, band, uh, you know, their athletic administration? And then, like you were saying, I mean, the band, the sounds of dynamite. How much did they, I mean, look, there's probably there. 3,500 people in that band, you know, (laughs) and, and and the cheerleaders and the dancers and everything else. And they bust, I'm sure all those people, they may have flown. I don't know, but if not, I mean, how much did it cost to transport all of that to this game? And then it turns out there's no game. Yeah. I'm not really sure why you even do a neutral site game with that game in the first place. Uh, there were about 15 people there, uh, not including these sounds of dynamite, 3,500, uh, brass that were there for our, uh, for, uh, all corn. I understand too, that it's in Daytona beach, Florida on labor day. So there's, you know, there's other stuff going on, I guess for labor day weekend, but, uh, you play that game at either one of the campuses. And I think you would have had a better atmosphere. You would have finished the game and, uh, it would have been a more pleasing thing to watch on, on television on a Sunday afternoon too, while you waited out that incredible game with Notre Dame for Notre Dame and Texas. Oh, my I guess. goodness. Uh, but, uh, Jay, I guess let's dive into it just a little bit here before we hit the break for Tony Bahu. Boy, um, you know, of course, we, talk, we talked about the Ole Miss game. Not a disaster in the sense that I think Ole Miss uh, still has a lot of things that you can look forward to uh, positively. Boy, uh, the offense looked out, out just unstoppable in the first half. Uh, not so much in the third quarter. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the defensive line looks to be one of the better lines in the SEC. That's the biggest thing I take from that game, if I'm an Ole Miss fan, is their defensive line. Uh, you know, they, you lose Kim Dietschy, uh and um, uh, who is who's the who's the other guy? Is it uh, Fawn Cooper that they yeah. thought they were going to have back? And it turns out he's not ready. Well, and so you, actually, he play, uh, Fidel Brown is who you're speaking about. Brown, he thank actually you, thank played you, a few you. plays in the ball game, not as many. Um, but uh, boy, Isaac Gross back to his old self. Deb Breland Speaks looked uh, great too out of Callaway here in Jackson. Uh, so. Uh, you know, the line and the defensive front looked uh, really, really good. And the freshman from Wayne County. Yes, right? Benito Jones, who caught the touchdown pass to win the state title last year. Right. That guy, Oxford he was pretty amazing. Yeah, he'll be a uh, true uh, freshman. He'll be uh, the true freshmen were really good. Uh, D, uh, A.J. Br- uh, Brown was great, too, in the game. And, boy, D.K. Metcalf with a highlight reel catch that will probably be on the end of the year. Uh, highlight Highlights uh, for college football as he tipped the ball over. Uh, Florida State's uh, just excellent corner who's going to be a first-round draft pick and caught it himself in the back of the end zone. Yeah, the, def- the defensive well line too. is is what I would take uh, as the as the biggest highlight of that game. If I'm an Ole Miss fan, i got to be really excited about my defense's ability to put pressure on the opposing offense and the, po- the opposing quarterback, and they're going to need to you yeah. know, because of the injuries that you have in the secondary now. And I think they were already worried about the depth that they were going to have in the secondary. Uh, and then, you know, uh, with a gruesome injury. Yeah, awful, it, awful uh, just, deal with Ken Webster. And just you, your heart goes out to that, him and, uh, and to Sweeney, to uh, the Ole Miss's running back. I mean, the kid got a stretch fracture last season in August, uh, was redshirted. The first carry of his college career, he tears his ACL and is out for the season. Yeah, I mean, it's just... I mean, just uh, it, I mean, it's those two injuries, it's not, it, I mean, it's not just the injury but it's it's what you're talking about. Uh, it's the first carry of the season, and for uh, for Webster, it was the, the second first, play of the game. Second play of the game. He also, uh, if you remember him from a season ago, that guy's transformed his entire look. 
he is a big t- he looked like a big time NFL corner that was ready to maybe take the next step too and just a, a pass knocked away at the end and you hate to see to see it for Tolando Cleveland too for Mississippi State of course yeah. they uh, we segue there to that is uh whoo wee that was not good in Starkville on Saturday thankfully I guess for state fans listening to the show we only have about 30 seconds to talk about this uh but uh man they got to hit the reset button this week because uh South Carolina comes to town a team that's beatable that they can definitely get uh their well, first I mean, SEC win I mean, state started I mean state started the week as a nine and a half point favorite and yeah. I'm like did you just, I mean, what, huh? I know. Did I forget yeah. A&T at the end of that South Carolina? Or what, I, I don't. Either they think South Carolina is terrible, or they think the South Alabama game was an anomaly for Mississippi State. And I can't tell which. But I know the line moved from 9.5 to about 6.5 in like three seconds. Yeah. Uh, that's, which my, means, that's my bad. I'm just That's my wife's bad. <laughs> no, but, uh, uh, yeah, Mississippi State, um, the the Nick Williams thing, huh? Uh, how about that? Yeah. That's, uh, that, that Fitzgerald was... plays two series, yeah. and then he's done for the rest of the game. Uh, and look, I think he Damian, took the knee to, to, in the half. <laughs> Damian Williams comes in and scores on their first three possessions. So, I mean, I get it. You're going with the hot hand. Uh, but look, when they started to scuffle through the entire third quarter, I mean, they, they blew a 17-point lead, man. Yeah. Ole Miss blows a 22-point lead. State blows a 17-point lead. Southern Miss... Erases a twenty-five point deficit. Yeah, it was literally Strange. the exact opposite. Southern Miss would just love to play the third quarter and go on back, and yeah. then Ole Miss and State would like to like right click and drag the third quarter out of the game. Because if Ole Miss does that, Ole Miss is uh, really uh, on the top of the heap here as far as uh, them and Alabama. Boy, the the, the collision course coming in uh, next weekend. So it, yeah. it would have been a huge. I mean, it's still going to be a huge game. I mean, that, there's no doubt about it. But uh, and I think Ole Miss fans can look at the game and think that they still have some stuff to to be uh, excited about but boy you just you're on the you're just right on the edge of taking that huge step that you've always uh that they've always wanted to do and can't put can't do it can't turn the ball over main well the thing is too i mean you uh, would think if maybe you could if you could run the table in the rest of your games um which i mean still that's a tall task but if you could do that maybe you have a chance to still make the playoff but they fell like 700 spots in the AP poll this yeah, week. Eight. That's another thing we can get into with Tony. Uh, maybe uh, we only got about 30 seconds here but we, as we have to get out of here. But uh, you might see a lot less teams taking those big-time games. LSU took a huge tumble. Ole Miss also took one, even though they, both of them played quote-unquote neutral site games in the home state of their opposing team. Against ranked opponents. I mean, Ole Miss played a top-five team in the country. Uh, led by three touchdowns at one point. They wind up losing, and then, you know, like you said, big tumble. Tony Bahu, when we come back, this is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The presidency is an office that suggests dignity and gravitas. The presidential campaign, well... This has been a pretty dirty campaign. It's, it's been a circus. It's been very entertaining, like a reality TV show almost. I'm Ari Shapiro. What voters make of one of the most unexpected campaigns of a lifetime on the next All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. You have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live not in, in what your Mr. Gorbachev. We will keep this promise to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Today is Thursday, but you know what tomorrow is. 
It's Friday, and that means high school football. Hello, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson. Join me, Jay White, Jake Wimberly, George Broadstreet, and the whole gang as we bring you all the scores and the stories that make up high school football across the state of Mississippi. So join us tomorrow night at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Join me each Thursday for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. Each week we talk with you about the health issues that are facing your children. From acne to concussions to diaper rashes and tonsils. From potty training to allergies to braces and everything in between. It's Mississippi's free weekly pediatric clinic on the radio. Listen to any of our episodes on demand through the MPB Public Radio app and online at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, this morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Welcome back. It's MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Coming up later in the program, Kyle Tate, the voice of the Mississippi Braves. Braves make it into the Southern League playoffs and uh, playing their uh, division championship series uh, ongoing right don't, now. Don't be harassing Kyle about the Dansby Swanson I'm not, thing. I'm man. not. I'm not. He's got nothing to do with it. He can't help it. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, and then later on, DJ Thompson, former Pearl receiver and uh, now senior with uh, the Southern Miss Golden Eagles coming off a big win over Kentucky to start the season. And now uh, they have Savannah State uh, at home at the open, in their opener this weekend. And uh, I, they're going to score 60 or 70. I don't know. Uh, so right now, Tony Bahu joins us now. And uh, bring it on, Tony, uh, former sports director, longtime sports director at uh, Channel 16 WAPT uh, in Jackson, the ABC affiliate. And uh, talking a little bit about uh, Mississippi State and South Carolina, the 2001 game, the first college football game after uh, the September 11 attacks that year, uh, just uh, it had to be a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, just the feeling and everything that went into that game. Tony, thank you for your time. Good morning. How you doing? Good, Jay. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Oh, man. That, that, uh, the, the, great, the funny thing about that ball game is that uh, you know, Ole Miss was supposed to play Vandy at home. And then the Ole Miss game was canceled because of the attacks. And Ole Miss was on the road at Kentucky, on the road at Arkansas State, I think, and then had an off week. So Ole Miss didn't play at home for another three weeks after. Uh, so it was a month of no games in Oxford. So uh, and Mississippi yeah, State. Sam, initially the SEC wanted it, made the call on Wednesday after the attack to want to play the games on Saturday, but they were, uh, you know, the TV partners and presidents at the time of the schools balked at Roy Kramer, and he uh, he made the decision not to, and so that was a, obviously a wise decision to, to do that because we were still obviously as a nation in, in mourning at that time. But, Jay, it was surreal. I don't know if you, if you were in the stands then or on the sidelines in, in a, a different media capacity, but uh, you could you had chill bumps uh, standing on the sideline when they brought that uh, big flag. Uh, I remember uh, – very emotional time right before the game with the national anthem. I mean, we in the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the national anthem uh, in sports and what it means. Um, you know, you can take what you want from that, but yeah. that was an emotional time uh, at, in that stadium and that 
for that game for sure. Yeah, you mentioned that. I think that's one of the things people always take. I mean, I guess they they stretched a, an American flag, which was what the, like the, the entire size of the football field. I think. I mean, it was huge. It was huge. Yeah. So a, a little bit about just just the feeling, and and, and you know, especially when you work in sports media. You know, games kind of run into each other, and that's not to say that 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 the people who work in sports media don't enjoy what they do or take it for granted. But you know, uh, it becomes you know the sprocket that you put on the widget, like everybody else does at their job. Uh, but just how did that game and you know its place in not just sports but but in society? Uh, and and how that was working out, you know, just a, a once in our lifetime attack on our homeland, which is just something nobody ever anticipated or had experienced. And you know, it, I, I think everybody remembers what it was like trying to work your way mentally through the next week or two or three or or way longer for some people. And then we have this football game, and one of the big questions was, you know, when do we get back to normal? How do we get back to normal? Do these sports, do these games even matter? And then here you are, you're in this stadium with all these people covering this football game. Just a little bit about the feeling of being in that stadium and going back to work and and doing games as usual. Sure. Um, and unfortunately, in, in Mississippi, we've had to do this a couple of different times. It, it reminded me of Hurricane Katrina and getting back to normal then. It, you know, yeah. I want to say it's a once-in-a-lifetime, and knock on wood, we never have to experience a, a terrorist attack of that level ever again on our homeland, but um, I remember uh, Thursday night, you know, the games were postponed the, the, the Saturday before, and they back-ended uh, the year and added an, extra, or, yeah, added an extra week at the end of the season, but, you know, going into that game, you know, we put all the resources, uh, as much of the Jackson Television and CBI and, and, and Columbus and TVA and, you know, all the, all the Mississippi stations were there, and Memphis came down, so every, the spotlight was on Mississippi that, that night. Um, I could remember seeing Jackie Sherrill's face. Um, you know, he's pretty stoic. He doesn't, you know, he used to call guys instead of obviously by uh, their numbers instead of their names, but he was emotional in that time. Lou Holtz, obviously, very an emotional guy just in his sense, and he was a head coach for South Carolina. Yeah. I, I believe his either first or second, probably second year. Uh, they were an up-and-coming program. Both teams were ranked uh, at the time, and it, it was just um, – you could you could feel, like I said earlier, the the emotion and the energy of wanting to show the terrorists that we aren't going to be uh, defeated in this way. We're not going to, you know, it, it's callous to say, but sometimes, you know, we, we're not going to change the way we live and who we are as a people, as an Ameri- as Americans. That this is what we do, and we will we will carry on, just like the guys did on that same day. Uh, in 2001, uh, on September 11th, they raised a flag at Ground Zero. This is the very same day that the, the buildings came down. They raised a flag up to, in, in solidarity and defiance. And, and so this was a case, I think, uh, of that saying, "How we do it, this is what we're going to do." So it was a, I, I, you know, I was blessed to be a part of that, to see that, to say that. I was there during that first game, and people don't remember, you know, if you're outside the state, uh, necessarily, you know, other states, uh, other SEC schools, their Saturdays you know, instead of that Thursday game. But if you were in that stadium, you remember that vividly. Uh, the one funny part, when they had a moment of silence, I don't know if you remember, Sam, 
So there's a moment of silence, you know, please, moment of silence. And then I, right at the end of the moment of silence, the state fan <laughs> yells, go to hell, Ole Miss. And I'm like, okay, we're back to normal. <laughs> and and kind of get the truck all that. So, all right, so, all right, let's get the game on and let's, let's move on. So that's, that's how, that's how uh, it kind of snapped out and said, all right, we, we got a game to play. This is this is who we are and this is what we're going to do. Yeah, if you look it up on uh, on uh, YouTube, of course, has everything now, and they have that the beginning of the game. You definitely hear that, and it is sort of a, okay, we're back. We are back to <laughs> normal and, uh, and what's going on. Tony, I'll tell you one thing we weren't back to, and I don't think we still have become uh, this way. And A lot of folks uh, that are uh, younger, uh, the younger generation only know this, but going into football games became a lot more difficult than uh, how was it getting into the game. I was a freshman in college at Ole Miss, and I remember in the student section – never experiencing the pat-down that I received for the first game uh, back uh, on campus after all that was going on against Alabama. Uh, but it must have been a wild, chaotic scene as far as security to get in and out of there uh, that night. Yeah, that, yes, it, it, obviously it was. I mean, before you'd walk in, people give you a high wave, uh, your channel 16, whatever, come on in, your media <laughs> pass. But uh, the lines were a little bit longer. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, you couldn't carry stuff in. They checked your bag for media stuff, and they, and they just wanted to make sure. Uh, and they, they used that as kind of the gateway because then a couple of months later when I covered the Super Bowl uh, in New Orleans um, in, in 2000, beginning of 2002, the Patriots' first win over the, the Rams, you know, that was, you talk about security. I mean, yeah. that, that took it to a whole new level. So I think that was just the beginning part, you know, Guys, to tell you the truth, um, it's gotten a lot lax now, and I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not advocating, but there needs to be a, a happy medium because right now you can walk in with whatever you wanted to walk in with, you know. Yeah. To yeah. be totally honest, not to be a Debbie Downer on it, but it's. It needs to be picked back up, I think, or we're going to be in trouble again. Yeah, and you're right about that. It kind of it varies from venue to venue, really, uh, as far as how serious they are. And I know Mississippi State instituted uh, the clear bag policy this season, yeah. uh, so uh, I think you might be headed in the right direction as far as that goes. You know, the, the interesting thing, Tony, is, I mean, so these people were, I guess, I mean, just less than a couple of weeks away from watching – you know, planes fly into buildings in the biggest city in the United States. And so, you know, somebody somewhere had a had a motive uh, for what sure. they were doing, obviously. So here it is. It's the first it's the first major sporting event after this event. You got forty five thousand people sitting at a stadium right. while you're trying to concentrate on your job and what you're doing in the game and the players and the coaches and everything else are trying to concentrate on what they're doing. There just had to be like this eeriness hanging over that game. You're like, oh my goodness, forty five thousand people sitting in one place. We're a target right now. And so I, sure. I mean, I just I know for me personally, the next handful of games, or maybe for a year or more, I was always just leery of going into a big stadium where a ton of people are, thinking, well, you know, this is an opportunity for somebody. Sure, and you know, and I think I think we all have to be. Uh, have our heads on swivels even today, uh, you know, they say, see something, say something. And, and I think we all have to, that day in particular, uh, and moving forward, we have to still be conscious of that. Um, maybe you don't let it, you know, creep you out all the time. I think one of the things that we took solace in, if I can remember correctly, uh, it's been 15 years, but I want to say there was a flyover. Yeah. And having Columbus Air Force Base, uh, you know, the not too far away 
you know, I think absolutely scramble something that they had to. <laughs> and I think I think that gave people a little sense of security that uh, there's an Air National Guard base, you know, not too far away or whatnot. So you know, I, I think that was I think that that helped a lot. Tony, man, we really do appreciate you uh, helping us kind of look back on that uh, really incredible moment in American sports history that happened uh, right here in our own borders in Starkville. Thank you so much for your time, man. You're welcome, Jay. Thank you, Sam. All right. Tony Bahu, former sports director, 16 WAPT, uh, and the ABC affiliate in Jackson. Uh, just a, a, a wild game. Interesting. He mentioned both teams were ranked at the time. State was 16th. Uh, they won their opening game of the year. That was a, that was a Mississippi State team that had a lot of Bad expectation. Year for State. There was a lot of expectation on it, and I they wound up Rose Bowl a, was expe- was expected. That <laughs> well, that's neither here nor there. But <laughs> there was a lot of expectation on that team. They won their first game. They were ranked 16th in the AP poll, and they lost this two point game to South Carolina, and it started what was a, a, a as you mentioned a, a really unexpected bad season for Mississippi State where they went three and eight and two and six in the league and it's just interesting that it that it started at that game that meant so much so much different things for so many other people all right um, our thanks to Tony Bahu for coming on coming up next DJ Thompson Southern Miss wide receiver this is MPB season pass this is MPB think radio Mississippi public broadcasting MPB is getting its very own car tag. But first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road. Americans have a big decision to make on November 8th. A date which will live Ask not need in infamy. Mr. Gorbachev. We will keep this promise to the American people. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Coming up on MPB's At Issue. Kemper controversy. Per megawatt hour, this is the most expensive electric generating facility in the world. Mississippi Power calls it the world's most advanced coal plant. If it were to work, then we might have a viable fix for how to clean up coal plants. But it's billions of dollars over budget and behind schedule. There's certainly no reason to continue to throw good money after bad. We take a closer look at the Kemper County Energy Facility on At Issue this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB. Welcome back. It's MPB's Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Coming up right here, DJ Thompson, Southern Miss wide receiver, senior wide receiver. Uh, Golden Eagles going to Kentucky and beat the SEC team to start the season in their house. And I, I, I've i heard people reference this over the last week or so since they won that game as a huge upset. And man, I'm like, we called it. No, man, both exactly. Uh, we it. both thought Southern Miss was going to win. I've been calling this game since January. Uh, and I asked him, you know, with people calling this a huge upset, and, and I mean, the line for the game was less than a touchdown going in. What was Southern Miss's expectations about going into Commonwealth Stadium and playing at the SEC's Kentucky Wildcats going into their game? Well, first of all, I'm going to start by saying that we treat every team the same. No matter who we play, we go every every week. We take every team's 
to the serious and as the most serious that we most possibly can take them. Like we don't we we don't think of anybody on a higher pedestal pedestal than what they are. We don't think of anybody on a lower pedestal than what they are. We just play ball. And I uh and I think you know I was proud of our guys. Mostly we just honed in on working hard, man, and busting our tails to achieve what what we know we can achieve. We knew we were just as good as that team that we played. We knew that we were just as good as anybody that we're going to play against. It's just a matter of us going out and doing it, you know. And and I I feel like we did. We did a good job of that. Now you guys fell behind thirty five ten, and it, and it's it. I don't I I don't know if you guys lost any kind of confidence, but if you're a fan, it started looking bleak there for a minute. But uh, uh, I mean, you guys came roaring back. Tell me how big it was to get that touchdown right before halftime to cut that lead to thirty five seventeen right before the break. Well, yeah, that was really big for us. We needed to cut that lead down just to make it easier on us coming back out, give us a little bit more momentum. But more than anything, I don't think anybody was was worried about the score going into the locker room. I think we was more worried about, you know, fixing our mistakes, the mistakes that we made, that the plays that we left out on the field that caused the score that it was. And I think from us correcting those mistakes and getting out there and playing just that much harder, you know, was, was the biggest thing for us in the second half. So, I mean, yeah, I feel like that, that first touchdown was really important for us. So I feel like that was the momentum booster. This is Jay Hobson's first season, uh, and and it's it's pretty interesting. He showed a lot of metal uh, uh, for him and his staff and you guys to to come from behind with a deficit like that. Uh, what did he say to you guys at halftime, or or, or was it was it as you kind of mentioned earlier, just kind of sticking to the game plan and, and business as usual and just ironing out yeah, the I rough mean, spots? Yeah, I mean it was a little bit of both. I mean he he said some things to us. I ain't gonna lie, he said some things to us. Basically, <laughs> his main thing with us was was his main thing with us was he didn't care about the scoreboard, and and that you know he just wanted us to make sure that we went out there and played our hardest and fought and fought. We didn't just regardless of whether we were getting pushed and drove out of bounds or whether we was catching a touchdown. It was you know we were playing hard from from the beginning of the whistle to the end, and that was that was his biggest thing. And we took what he said and applied it with the execution part of it, and and I guess you see the the results. All right, so Edo Smith, man, I mean, look, this guy's not big as a minute. Now, look, he's a great running back, but uh, I mean, he you you might call him diminutive versus some other running backs, but this guy, we had thirty six carries the other night. Talk about uh, yeah. you know how important he is. To this offense, you know, a returning thousand-yard runner, and then you know, just just the game he had and his ability to, to to bang in there with the big guys at the size that he is. Yeah, well, I mean, it's of high importance. I mean, Edo Edo's one of those guys that when you first see him, he's not really, of course, you like you said, you don't think of him as really just a big back, but he's really actually pretty solid for his size. He's pretty, he's really solid. He's really strong in the weight room. He works his tail off in the weight room. And 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 I feel like he's really really valuable, really really valuable to the offense. Shoot, our, our, it seemed like our run game was working better against Kentucky, and our O line was getting the push on them run game wise. So I feel like that was one of the reasons why we ran it so much. But when you got guys like George Payne and Edo Smith running the way they're running, man, you don't want to throw too many balls up in the air. You want to get those guys out on. Uh, 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 you want to get those guys the ball and let them get in space and let them make plays. But I love I love the fact that we got the uh, running back that we do. I love both of them, honestly. I was going to say. I mean, you mentioned George Payne. I mean, Southern Miss fans have to be elated because you know he's kind of that counter. He's a bigger back, uh, but man, he showed some tough stuff early on. He got up to a hundred yards as well. 
And uh, it, it's yeah. it's another it's going to be another season, obviously, where Southern Miss can have a couple of backs that they can throw at you, and, and both be able to get big chunks of yardage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the biggest thing for me is that when when I'm out there and I know they're out there running the ball, I, I make sure I get on my guy twenty four seven. I make sure I try to get on that cornerback as much as possible because I know they're going to make a play. I know that they're going to shoot with George. He's more of a power back, but with Edo, there's no telling what he's going to do. With Edo, there's never a telling. You never, you never go off which way the quarterback might give us, tell us to block inside or block outside. But with him, you just block head up because yeah. you don't know which way what move he's going to make. And the one thing I love about Edo is Edo will set up his block. I remember we was playing Kentucky, and one of the the very first drive he scored a touchdown on, I planted the, the DB to the ground because once I realized, I seen that his eyes went inside. Because Edo made an inside cut, I just finished the block, and he cut off of, and that makes me look good. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I love, I love a guy that's that talented because I mean, he he opens up and expands, you know, farther than me just catching the ball blocking wise. So, I, yeah, I think he's a pretty really good asset to our team. Man, what's what's it like in film room when everybody's in that room together and uh, they see you squash a block out like that and and spring a big play like that? What's that like to hear? And and how do the guys? You know, maybe, maybe even if you if you miss a block here or there and it messes up a play, do you, I mean, you guys chirp at each other and give give each other the business. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll, we we know we all gonna make mistakes, but we know we all need to play hard. I feel like when they saw me do that, they gave them every incentive to go out and knock somebody down because I wasn't the only person that knocked somebody down to play. Yeah. Isaiah Jones cracked back on a defensive end and knocked him out. Um, uh, Tyreon Holmes cracked back on a safety one time on a screen play. Uh, uh, Alan Staggers got him a couple good blocks. So did Corey. So, so did Corey and, uh, and Marquise McCarr. So, I mean, they, I feel like more than anything, they're feeding off the energy. They see, hey, man, DJ out here playing foes, why can't I? You know, and I love that about them. All those guys are hungry. They all want to make that big block. And I always make, I make up funny jokes in the, in, in the room like, hey, Coach Walls, if I, if I dump a DB this weekend, you got to give me, you know, Zagsies just to be funny, just to make <laughs> everybody kind of laugh. Right, and they'll be like, they'll be like, heck yeah, I want some, I want some too. You know, they want it too, so they'll go out and try to and try to plant them somebody, and it's and it's great to see, man. It's really great to see because you can tell they feed off of it. And DJ, they, they just, they just, you know, we all, we all kind of just we feed off each other, so it's a pretty good deal. Absolutely, DJ Thompson, Southern Miss wide receiver, former Pearl Pirate. Uh, we're speaking with man Nick Nolans. Uh, you know, terrible first half until right up there at the end through three picks. Tell me about his demeanor on the sideline. It looked at least from television that, you know, he, he never dropped his head and the and the coaches never really got on him. It was more of what you were talking about. You go back to the sideline and try to figure out, you know, what the bump in the road was and then work through it. And then, you know, obviously you guys found your footing and it was on after that. Yeah. I feel like Nick, as well as everybody else on the team, knows to brush off mistakes. I mean, even Coach Hop told us before the game, you're going to drop passes, you're going to throw picks, you're going to miss blocks, you're going to, you know, miss assignments. Things are going to happen. But the, the overcoming it is the biggest thing. I mean, I dropped a play across the middle. I had, I had an eye violation on the ball, and I missed the ball. And then I turned around and tried to make a play, you know, on third down that got us a pass interference. And so, like, that, that was a prime example of just, Keeping them, keeping the game going, and keep playing. You know, you can't you can't sit there and lag. He couldn't lag on those picks because he knew we had a long game ahead of us and we had a chance to still win it. So I'm proud of him for that. I feel like a lot of our team like that. Our whole team is is built on just you know playing the next play. 
You got the home opener coming up against Savannah State, and uh, this is uh, every Southern Miss uh, person that I've talked to. I, I talk about this, the video that went viral on Facebook and Twitter of you guys uh, having the the locker room, the brand new locker room, unveiled to you the first time. Just watching your guys, you know, spill into that locker room and the reaction to uh, you know the the place you're going to call home before games, uh, you know, and after games now. A little bit about that experience. I mean, you know, for you being there as long as you've been and what all you've seen there, what all you've worked through, I know, you know, seeing that um, had to be a big deal for you. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty big deal for me. I mean, I was just, I was happy for me personally as far as my senior year goes because my last semester here, I actually get a chance to really just, you know, experience it and, 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 and enjoy it with my teammates. But more than anything, I'm happy for my teammates. They, they deserved it. They've been working so hard. We, we've come so far, you know, with the program. And then I felt like it was something, something in due time needed to, to help keep boosting our spirits and keep us going the way we're going. And I feel like it's actually, it's actually translating out to the field. Cause you know, we, when we go out there on that, in that hot sun in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, everybody knows about the Hattiesburg, Mississippi heat. <laughs> so, so for us to come, come out of that and get into such a comfortable setting. It's so comfortable in there, you know, and we know it's new. Everything's nice, and it's just it's so relaxing that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sign of relief. You know, it makes you feel good when you go in there. Before we let you go, uh, for, for the freshmen and sophomores who are there now, um, who all they've seen at Southern Miss is all this winning you guys been doing. But for you and some of the guys who come through that desert that y'all had before, uh, you know, how, how do you keep those guys – you know, sharp and and not, I guess, taking for granted what they have and where the program is today. Well, we're doing a lot of the opposite of what was going on my freshman year. See, my freshman year, it was it seemed like that that aroma of wanting to be good, wanting to be the best guy in the room, and and wanting to be great just kind of left. It was gone. It wasn't the, the the winning format of everybody wanting wanting to win and keeping everybody accountable wasn't wasn't as, 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 you know, as rough. Nowadays, you know, you see one of us drop a ball, we're all looking at you like, hey, man, what you, what you doing? You know, <laughs> let's go, you know, get going. And so I think the biggest thing for our freshmen and sophomores is that they see how, how, how our leaders on our team operate. They see, you know, us getting on each other. They see us holding each other accountable. They see us trying our best to be good and, and going out and doing. Like, I try to go out and do as much extra routes and this, it, all that as I can. And, like, for instance, today me me and Nick and Isaiah Jones and us stayed after the route. And, and young Quez Watkins, the freshman, came out there with us for the first time because he just saw us out there doing it. He's like, hey, man, I need to get, get me some good route too. I need to get better, too. You know, and that and that just, for him, for, for our young guys, I feel like it's more of just leading by example and, and showing them, showing them the way of how to do things. Because once they see things start going bad and they see, they can they can pinpoint it. They can nip it in the bud, and so I think that's the biggest thing for our freshman and sophomore. Well, I know uh, Southern Miss fans are, are are extremely excited. I know there are a lot of hurdles in this schedule, but uh, the two in particular uh, road games at SEC places. I know they were looking forward to getting those two games, and you guys chewed one up and got it out of the way last week. And we look forward to talking to you again. And appreciate your time, man. Thank you. That's DJ Thompson, Southern Miss wide receiver. Uh, senior wide receiver, and uh, Southern Miss starts their season off with a win at Kentucky this past weekend. They host Savannah State. 
at the Rock this weekend. Uh, and that other big game, I mean, outside of a handful of conference games that may pose a, a, a bit of a bump in the road, potentially, a game at LSU about a month from now. All right, let's switch gears. Kyle Tate is the play-by-play voice of the Mississippi Braves. The Braves last night started their division divisional championship series in the Southern League playoffs playing the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. And Kyle is on the air with us now. Kyle, thank you for your time. Good morning. Hey, Jay. Good to hear from you, buddy. Absolutely. Well, a, a tough start to the series last night, but uh, that certainly by no means means that this thing is over with. But uh, if you could, uh, you know, we, we've talked a handful of times through the course of this season. Braves got off to a tough start, but uh, through the middle of the season and especially through the bulk of this second half of the season, the Braves really took off this year. I remember back in March, Jay, when you called me, um, I was telling you about how I didn't expect the team to have a good first half because the Braves organization is is pretty well known for starting guys out at a higher level than they probably would be ready for just to challenge them. And so Mississippi generally ends up being one of the younger teams in the Southern League. And with that comes inconsistency. It comes errors. It comes uh, bad at bats against better pitching. So, um, it happened exactly the way I think I, I predicted on your show back in March, where, where the youth in the first half shone through. And as the team started to learn together, plus they got a couple of key pieces, like Ozzie Albies coming back down in late June from AAA to join Dansby Swanson, it, it happened uh, pretty much exactly the way we had, we had planned, where the Braves in the second half shot up, and uh, it, was, it was tremendous. And, you know, now we're in the playoffs. Last night was an incredible game to open, and unfortunately they ended up on the wrong end. But... Uh, it, it's going to be a heck of a playoff series, and I, I don't see a world where this series doesn't go to five games, to be honest with you. Kyle, uh, it's the same Wilson here. We're on MPB's season pass with Kyle Tate of the Mississippi Braves. We have a couple of Embrave season ticket holders here peering through the window asking us if Ozzie Albies will be back uh, to, uh, for the ball games this weekend uh, after uh, getting injured last night. What's the status on him? Actually, uh, the news just came down five minutes before you called me. Um, Albies hit the disabled list. They don't know the extent of the injury. All injury updates have to come through Atlanta, so I can't give an update on exactly what it is. But um, he's hit the disabled list. Uh, they got a new player. In fact, it, it happened right before you called me, so I didn't even get a chance to check out who was called up. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's hit the DL, and he, it looks like he's done for the playoffs. Well, I mean, you know, certainly that's not good news for the Braves, but they've been pitching it really well, specifically in this in the second half of the season. And last night, they got uh, contributions all up and down the lineup. Now, this Braves team this year has taken a lot of hard hits with promotions, and so you know that that locker room and you know manager Luis Salazar. I know they've had a lot of uh, you know ups and downs with how they've had to juggle the lineup, juggle the rotation. I mean, that's 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 minor league baseball. I understand that, but. Does it help them that they have they've gone through having their best players taken from them, you know, multiple times intervally through the course of this season? And does it help them now with this knowing how to deal with how to handle that? I think one thing Louis talked about on my pregame show yesterday that's pertinent to that question is the fact that every time somebody's been promoted, they've been replaced by somebody who is as good, if not better, for the most part. I mean. With Dansby Swanson, obviously, Reed Harper coming up to replace him. That's the one exception. But in terms of all the pitching turnover, the bullpen turnover, when we've promoted a guy like Chris Ellis, he's replaced by a guy like Max Posey. I mean, it's it's prospect after prospect after prospect. The guy that we're starting tonight, Patrick Weigel, I was told by an Atlanta Braves executive who was in town a couple of weeks ago, he said, if you you didn't know his draft status, if you didn't know that he was a seventh-round pick and you're just watching him 
throw the baseball, you'd think he's first-round talent and that he was one of the top picks in the draft. And that's how it is every night. I mean, it's the pitching staff is so stacked. And unfortunately, last night, the walks got the better of the club. And I think, too, the atmosphere in Pensacola is so different from any atmosphere in the Southern League. And, that I mean, it was only 2,800 fans last night. The ballpark was only about half full. Yeah. But there's such a well-educated fan base, and there's such a high energy and the tension and the passion from those fans that I think our guys crumbled a little bit, to be honest with you. Uh, a couple of late errors and uh, obviously a, a walk at the end of the game with the bases loaded to force in the winning run. It was a disappointing way to start the playoffs. But I think the team's going to be just fine. And with Pensacola, they've been neck and neck all season as it is. So it's going to continue to be five games of – back and forth, up and down baseball, and it's going to be just like yesterday that has all season between these two teams. So let me ask you, you know, specifically in playoff baseball where there are a lot of pressure situations, and unlike the regular season where you know you can anybody, I think, can get lost in the day-to-day of having a 140-game season, this Mississippi Braves team uh, you know, repeatedly through the season ha- has shown the ability to come back late in games. I don't know how many times you know, I've looked in that box score the next day and seen them erase a ninth inning deficit. Uh, now, sometimes they've given it back. I've seen that a handful of times this season. But a little bit about this club's ability to, you know, go into the ninth and, uh, you know, not see it as this big uphill climb, but able to just focus on what they're doing and, and steal games from folks. I think especially lately, um, that's a, a good point, Jay. Uh, in Chattanooga, the last road trip of the year, only about seven, eight games left, uh, we trailed, um, I want to say, four to three, and Ozzie Albies was down to his last strike with two runners on and hit a two-run triple. Um, two days later, they're down 3-2 to two in the ninth inning. Albies leads off and hits the, the game-tying home run, made it 3-3. They ultimately went on to win 5-3. to three. Same thing last night where they were down in the seventh. Johan Camargo comes through with a two-run triple. Then uh, in the ninth inning, Stephen Gaylor, of all people, a pinch hit single up the middle. Gaylor had only been a double-A for about a month and a half, and he was down on the count 3-2 and two with two outs against an all-star closer and had runners at first and second and comes through with a game-tying single, and then Pensacola gives back a run with an error. So you're absolutely right, and I, I know that the, the first two examples I gave shows what a huge blow it is to lose Ozzy Albies, but a number of other guys on this team have come through in a big way too, and um, I, this team is scrappy. They're fighters. They're getting, as you mentioned, contributions up and down the order, and at this point now with Albies out, it's up to Malik Smith, who, who Brian Stitcher and John Coppola have said will be with us through the playoff run, it's up to Malik Smith to step up at the top of the order and kind of pick up the slack. He's been struggling the last three days. And um, it's, it's like I said, it's going to be a fun series to watch. Kyle, man, thank you so much for your time. We'll be listening and watching and rooting for the Braves to get through to a, a Southern League championship. Georgia, anytime, buddy. All right, that's Kyle Tate. Tonight, 6.30 p.m. It's on 103.9 in the Jackson area. And uh, they, the Mississippi Braves Network is on the TuneIn radio app. So you can search for it and find it there. And you can listen to it through your cell phone there. 6.30 tonight. smooth voice there too, Jay. That's right. They got a couple of home games Friday and Saturday night. 7 o'clock starts at Trustmark and Pearl. Trustmark Park. Thanks to Tony Bahu and DJ Thompson for coming on. Kyle Tate for Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. This is MPB Season Pass. So the Remedy Kids and Teens is next on Think Radio. This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. 